right, good day, everybody. It is Rob, Ben, and Joe here with you on another Friday podcast, Saturday radio show, and whatever else you want to call us today, right? <laughs> How are you guys doing on this rainy day? Uh, trying to just float along, I guess. It's I know. Been, all the rain has been absolutely uh, insane. I mean, Jim Cantor. Where's Jim when you need him? <laughs> Jim Cantori. I mean, you know, that's what we could use that guy right yeah. now. When's He's, it going to stop, Jim? <laughs> He's standing out by the ark out there. <laughs> I'll tell you what, rainy, rainy times here in Middle Georgia, but nothing but sunshine here on the Rob, Ben, and Joe show. We are hanging out today talking football, and uh, we're going to talk about some schools that you guys are probably familiar with if you listen in or pay attention to sports. We're going to be talking about our friends from LSU today. We're going to have on the show the uh, the voice of the national champion LSU Tigers, Mr. Chris Blair, on with us in just a couple of minutes. And uh, we're also going to have his former home. We're going to have the uh, athletic director, Miss Lisa Sweeney from Georgia Southern on with us in just a little bit as well. So talking Georgia Southern and LSU football today, but uh, we're going to start with the national champion LSU Tigers. Chris, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, and I'm pretty excited. We're going to be talking fighting Tigers and the Eagles. That's a pretty good combination. (laughs) We thought you would like that, Chris. (laughs) uh, Chris, it's a pleasure to have you on the show with us here, sir. And uh, first off, let me just say thanks to everybody here in Middle Georgia for uh, listening in and listening to you because we all do enjoy some great football and some great calls. And we're going to listen to some of those in just a minute from your uh, national championship game. But uh, tell us how's everything in your world now that uh, you're into basketball season and football season season's over and uh you got baseball on the deck so uh, how's your life right now <laughs> well it's it's busy but fun i mean uh wouldn't want it any other way but i've been asked a lot you know what was it like uh in new orleans uh, after winning the national championship and i said well uh left the stadium got to the hotel about 1 15 on tuesday morning packed up my stuff drove to baton rouge which took about an hour got home about 2 15 Packed another bag, laid down around 3, 3.15, and then left for the Baton Rouge Airport a little before 7 and flew to College Station that night to do a basketball game. So wow. I really haven't had a chance yet to really celebrate it like Louisiana style, <laughs> a, uh, the football national championship. Uh, but, you know, that's just part of the deal. We got basketball going now. We got uh, five games remaining in the regular season. And then we'll move uh, into baseball, which is already underway, and that'll take us hopefully until the end of June uh, up in Omaha, Nebraska. That's exciting, man. I tell you what, that's a that's a busy run of things. You go from such a high, and then you got to switch gears and hop into a. Uh, I would say that's a that's a pretty fatiguing sport to call in <laughs> basketball. You know, you go off, you you call a national championship, and you got to hop right back in the car and a plane and uh, take on the um, the Titans of basketball, man. How is that? How was that transition from the football right into a basketball game like that, man? And LSU's having a pretty strong year in basketball as well, man. Y'all are doing everything right in Louisiana. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I made sure our producers kept none of the footage uh, from that Texas A&M basketball game. <laughs> it was uh, not very good, and LSU won that game, by the way. But even Coach Will Wade, our head basketball coach, was like, man, you okay? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm hanging in there. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's part of it, and it's what I signed up for, and it's an absolute dream job to be able to, you know, travel the southeast and really the country uh, with the non-conference schedule. Uh, in both baseball and, and even sometimes in football and, and, and certainly with basketball and to watch some of the best student athletes in college sports compete and usually have a pretty good seat doing it. So uh, no complaints. It's just sometimes you, you're running a little low on fumes 
but, you know, it, sports is one of those things that if you had to go do something and you had to do a job and you had to do it tired, I can't think of anything better to do. <laughs> I agree with you there. That's good stuff. Absolutely. It makes it a lot easier uh, if you enjoy, like, what you're doing. Um, so, Chris, a little bit in our area, we got a lot of Georgia Southern grads and stuff around this area um, that listened to you for many years when you were the voice of the Eagles down there in Statesboro. So, uh, just want to ask you a little bit, how was the transition moving from Georgia Southern? You were there for a little while. Um, and how was the transition moving from there to uh, to LSU, one of the biggest markets kind of that you could possibly be on the stage in, I guess, college broadcasting um, and broadcasting world in general? Um, so kind of talk a little bit about that transition and what may be different from, you know, Georgia Southern as opposed to uh, doing the broadcasting work at LSU. Well, I've said all along that my time, 10 seasons at, at Georgia Southern, uh, prepared me really well. In fact, during the interview process, they asked me uh, here at LSU, you know, what would it mean – uh, to go from a you know traditional FCS school who had just transitioned to FBS to um, a Power Five school, and I said, well, Georgia Southern prepared me well because in that neck of the woods, really the entire state of Georgia, but certainly in South Georgia, when it comes to Georgia Southern fans, they're extremely rabid, they're extremely knowledgeable, uh, they keep up with it as good back in the day in the one double A days than any other school in the country, and they certainly have continued that into their FBS tenure. And, you know, they put 20,000 people, 20,000 rabid, passionate fans inside Paulson Stadium on Saturday. That's really no different except for the numbers. I mean, at LSU, they put 102,000 rabid, passionate fans inside Packard <laughs> Stadium. And a couple of earthquakes. Um, but, but, it, but again, it, is, it, it, it still prepares you for this type of job because it was an important job. Uh, you had to represent each of the coaches, each of the programs, not just the ones you cover, but all of the athletic programs. And you represent a small part of the university. And having learned that, the responsibility, the fun, uh, as well as all the great times, I mean, there is a responsibility that comes with that. And I think that prepared me very well uh, for what I do on a daily basis here at LSU, whether it's calling games or handling banquets or special events on campus. Um, you know, I think I've got a, a ton of experience at Georgia Southern with a fan base uh, that eats, breathes, and sleeps it, just like they do here in South Louisiana. Well, Chris, if you don't mind, I want to ask you to talk about that preparation and experience. I know that uh, you did spend a decade there at Georgia Southern, but before that, uh, you spent a little time over in Carolina. And uh, I was watching an interview that you had done. Um, I don't remember the date of the interview, but it was talking about your first opportunity and growth as a being in a broadcast family. You wanted to get in and just be a part of of getting on the the stage and on the show and getting into broadcasting. And you talked a lot about your growth of being the person that was carrying cables and connecting those, you know, pieces of equipment and going out and selling your own ads and then getting on the air and, and doing that stuff. So talk a little bit about that, if you will, because that's really, you know, re, me, Rob, and Ben, we, we aspire to do the same types of things and to do the same types of things now. So tell us about your journey. I tell people all the time, the hardest working people I ever wrote was around in my business. Uh, were those guys who, who did high school football on Friday night um, because typically it wasn't their full-time job. And in, in particular cases, there was maybe one on the crew that was that was their full-time job. The others had other jobs. Uh, and yet on Friday nights, they would travel the state, uh, carry a bunch of boxes up to a very small press box, <laughs> Accurate. Uh, crawl, crawl around in some really unseedy floors and uh, – you know, wire things up and, and do it because they love it and give it everything they have when the ball gets kicked off. And, you know, I spent 10 years of that 
in, in South Carolina and then just started begging uh, because I had some contacts at Clemson. And I said, hey, anything you guys got, I uh, just want to be around it. I, I assumed that I uh, would try the sponge approach that if I was just nearby, I would soak up uh, some type of education on how, how to put together a, a collegiate sports network and was fortunate enough to get on at Clemson, I think, because I begged and begged and begged. They finally got tired <laughs> of taking my call. So persistence does pay off in that case. Uh, and, you know, those five years I learned a lot, probably more so than any other time for what I'm doing on a daily basis here. And, you know, I truly believe, I, you know, I'm lucky now here at LSU. We show up on uh, Friday. We fly with the team on the road. Uh, get to the venue, go to the hotel, have a nice dinner. Saturday we get up and we've got a crew that already wires up our booth. And, you know, now I show up uh, an hour to kick off and and get my notes ready, but it's all set up. But I don't take for granted all those years of of going over, even at Georgia Southern, uh, on Friday nights. And that was one of the more enjoyable times for our crew. Terry Harvin and Ryan Chambers, guys from – Middle Georgia there, a uh, little name dropping. And, you know, we, en- we enjoyed going to the, the booth on Friday and setting up. It's a nice fellowship. We got some great stories, obviously. Um, but, you know, to be able to do a little bit of everything, because you just never know. Um, you know, in this day and age, I mean, technology is great, but sometimes it, it just doesn't work. And I've been in enough situations over the years where you've had to kind of improvise with uh, whatever problem faces you. And I think I've uh, encountered most every possible scenario as far as a nightmare, <laughs> you know, trying to trying to get a game on the air, whether you show up and they don't have the connection they said they would have, or there's one power outlet and you need five. Uh, <laughs> that all sounds very familiar. Yes. Yeah. We have all been there. <laughs> or 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 yeah. the always fun, we don't have a press box, but we got a table and a tent. Yeah, not that tonight. Yes. Um, you know, I remember doing an FCS uh, playoff game up in Delaware. And uh, for Georgia Southern, and the press box was taken over. It wasn't very big at Delaware Stadium. It was taken over by ESPN, of course, because TV rules the world. And they built a a, per, a, a temporary press box on the other side of the stadium, which literally was kind of like a deer stand. <laughs> and, and they had, you know, just extension cords. They had mining lamps. Uh, as the lights hanging up on nails. Nice. And uh, it had snowed for three or four days up there. The snow then started to melt. So we were sitting <laughs> probably with a gazillion volts of electricity all around us. <laughs> wow. And about, about an inch of, of melted snow that was water. And I was just waiting to blow our elbows out. <laughs> so I've encountered just about everything. And, uh, again, I'm blessed that I don't have to do that now. But the good news is, if we're ever in a pinch or somebody's unable to make it for whatever reason, uh, I can probably fumble my way through it and get us on the air. So it has paid off. Check that box. I hear you, man. <laughs> that is good stuff right there. Uh, it seems very familiar, it too, does. doesn't it? That it does. does. Or, or having to steal a surge protector when you go three hours <laughs> south and you forgot yours. <laughs> yes. yeah, I've done that. That's right. Hey, I, got it, I got an even better story about <laughs> high school football. Doing high school football in South Carolina, we went to a playoff game, and when we arrived, they had told us that earlier in the day the press box had been condemned because it was 50, 60 years old and could fall at any moment. <laughs> oh my God. So the school had kindly backed up two big full size trucks uh, at about the 
20 yard line and laid the tailgate down, put a table up there <laughs> and they were nice enough to run power and, and phone connection. So they were prepared for it, but we actually called the game from the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> Maybe, what do you say? Four feet off the ground. So oh basically gosh. we saw all the action from the middle of the field to the sideline near us. And then on the far side, we couldn't see anything, but maybe the top of the helmets because of the crown in the field. <laughs> and, uh, as I've said before, I've been accused of making up stuff on the air before, but I completely had to make up what was happening uh, <laughs> on that particular Friday night. So it was it was a tough one, but we got it through. Wow. Well, that's one that I don't think we've had to do yet. <laughs> yeah, so we've done that. We've done the bleachers. We've yeah. done the no power outlets, and we've had the no AC and the really shaky floor. Yeah. <laughs> we've done all that, but yeah. that's that's the well, one then, for the books. Well, then you haven't broadcasted until you broadcasted a football game from a back of a truck. <laughs> Aspirations. <Yeah. laughs> We're looking forward to that one, let me tell you. All right. Well, that's a, that's a great story, Chris. Uh, let me ask you this, too, uh, while we're talking about uh, uh, great stories and great games to call, just uh, by the way. You are, were calling the championship game this year for Clemson and LSU, and I want to take you back to one of those calls here. We're going to play the clip from your uh, touchdown call. This is Chase. It's a, the touchdown he had to go 21-17 to LSU on top of the Tigers. So let's listen to this. Jamar Chase, lone receiver, short side of the field. That's the right. Clyde Edwards and Lair joins the senior quarterback in the backfield. Here's the snap. Offensive line holds the throw, looking for Chase. Caught! Right corner of the end zone! Touchdown, LSU! And the Tigers have their first lead of the ball game on a 14-yard touchdown reception. Jamar Chase's second touchdown of the ball game. And LSU leads 20-17. to Jamar Chase. So tell us a little bit about uh, that call right there, Chris, and what was going through your mind as, as you guys took the lead in that national championship game. Well, the first quarter of that game, if fans remember, I mean, Clemson really dominated uh, on the defensive end. You know, LSU had, had really bad starting field position, which obviously is going to limit what you have in your playbook. I mean, they were backed up inside their five on two occasions um, and really had to be fairly conservative in those. Uh, but the good news was LSU's defense, which had played so well uh, the final five games of the year, and, and probably because everybody in the country said they weren't very good and they played with a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. And I think Clemson was a little frustrated that they had pinned LSU back. They had really stifled anything they wanted to do offensively, yet they only led by seven points for you know the majority of that first half. They got up by 10, which is the largest deficit LSU had. But you know, talking with Doug Morrow, who does the games with me, was an All-American at LSU, and Gordy Rush, who played wide receiver and defensive back at LSU, was our sideline analyst. We kept talking about Clemson throwing everything in the kitchen sink defensively right out of the gate. I mean, they LSU took their best shot defensively, and it just was a matter of when LSU's coaching staff figured it out and figured out where pressure was coming from and where they needed to pick up the late delayed blitz and try to get the ball down the field. And once that happened, LSU got on the scoreboard, and then with Jamar Chase giving LSU the lead, it was almost as if everybody in the building, including Clemson fans, knew that, uh, well, it was up. I mean, it was, it, it was over from that point on. And, again, Clemson would make it a little closer with that score in the third quarter, but I think LSU felt like at that point 
it's going to be up to Clemson to outscore LSU. And there's been a lot of teams this past season that tried that and weren't able to do so. No, and especially with such a special talent um, with Burrow, and, and we were watching that game, and you could kind of sense that it's almost like if you draw a comparison with the Super Bowl um, and, and Patrick Mahomes, you knew when they went down, you were almost like, well, we haven't seen the Pat magic yet. You know, we haven't seen it. You know, we've seen a little bit of it, but it's coming, it's coming. Same thing with LSU. Clemson, you were right. Clemson did everything they possibly could. Uh, Venables pulled out, I think, every stop he had and um, using Simmons in different ways and disguising him in and out and different coverages. And we were all just waiting for Burrow and those guys to kind of break through. Um, But, you know, from start to finish, did you see that kind of level the offense all year long? I mean, like you said, y'all were talking about it, just kind of waiting for that. Um, did you see them kind of improve along the year, or was it like game one, it was like, Burrow, this guy's just going to tear it up. You know, the, this whole group from game one till the national championship, did you kind of have a sense of, of being along with, you know, being so close with the program and seeing them from start to finish? Did they improve a lot, or were they just kind of just really dang good off yeah, the bat? just that good. <laughs> Well, if I write a book years from now, everybody will say I made this story up. <laughs> we had the opportunity to take in all three closed scrimmages uh, in the month of August. They had three scrimmages at Tiger Stadium. And I'll never forget, on all three, leaving the stadium with my crew, we all were discussing the fact that this is not your daddy's LSU offense. This is not even your granddaddy's LSU offense. And what stood out to me was when they went to the air, the ball was caught. There were no drop passes in those scrimmages. And, again, that's one offense going against one defense. And, you know, LSU's defense, that's been their calling card for well over a decade. Um, so even though they may not have been the most dominating defense in 2019, they were pretty daggone good. And if you look across the position groups for that defense, there's a lot of guys going to have their name called here in just a little bit in the NFL draft. Um, and so we left those scrimmages thinking, wow, not only is the offense radically different, but the execution and the completion percentages uh, were magnificent. The fact that they were throwing the ball out to the running back, which was completely different for LSU, and, and the running backs in, in LSU's offense this year with Clyde edwards helaire leading the way, who I thought was one of the most underrated backs in America. In fact, right now there's a lot of people – who you know project the NFL draft? Think he may be one of the highest running backs to go, um, but but having him, Ty Davis Price, the freshman, and John Emery, uh, the freshman, those guys are not your bruising between the tackle backs. They're the types that get them in space and they can make plays. So they utilize them in the passing game. So that's a long-winded answer to say we had an inkling that this was going to be special. Now, by no means did we expect you know SEC and LSU and eventually. Uh, college football playoff records to be met, broken, uh, and reset by LSU this season. I don't think any of us had that expectation. But we knew this was a very good offense. And, you know, a a lot of fans were very skeptical. Again, they didn't get to see the scrimmages. Um, They had heard for years that LSU was going to modernize their offense. never came to fruition. Uh, But honestly, against my good buddies at Georgia Southern, I think people left that game 55-3 to that's when most LSU fans said, yeah, this is different and we like what we see. And, uh, you know, week three, week four, this team could be special. Week seven, week eight, this is a team that's headed to the college football playoff. And by week nine, week 10, week 11, week 12, 
it was really, is there any other team in the country that can beat LSU? Yeah, and I think everybody kind of decided that that was probably the case. Oh, I think yeah. the legend of Burrow started building, you know, about middle of the season, and some of those marquee wins kept ticking off and everything. And I think that chip, chip on the shoulder of the uh, LSU defense definitely plays a role. And Michael Divinity was one of the, you know, star players, and he missed the last half of the season. And uh, guys like Patrick Queen and some of those guys stepped in there and really, um, you know, kind of filled that void. But I think you're right. Uh, one of the most underrated part of that team was the defense. I think that as far as a well-rounded unit, college football shifted to such an offensive heavy game. And it's like Coach Holmes told us here that as the head coach of Dublin Fighting Irish, he said, you know, the, the, the LSU of the, the old, like you're talking about with defense, 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 even Nick Saban and those guys, you got to be able to score 28 or more. If you can't score 28 or more, you're going to eventually go down. And, um, you know, how do you see the coaching transition with Joe Brady going to the NFL and some of those guys? Have y'all kind of heard how – is it going to be kind of the same thing going forward next year with Burrow and some of those guys leaving? Do you have any kind of lead on that? Yeah, Steve Linehan, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys, was uh, officially named the new passing game coordinator earlier this week. And – uh you know, Coach O's in a great position now. When you have the season he had, there was no rush to replace the defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda, nor was there a rush to, to replace Joe Brady. He had the luxury of taking his time and, and interviewing several candidates, and he's earned the right now to get a candidate that is the right fit. And uh, he, he was very transparent uh, with the media about how that process was going. It had to be an offense. Um, that was what LSU is running. This is LSU's identity now and will be for the foreseeable future. Um, should you be able to add some more wrinkles to it? Fantastic. But you're going to have to be able to handle the principles that were established last year with Joe Brady. And obviously, I think a lot of credit goes to Steve Ensminger, who is the offensive coordinator, because Steve was able to mesh what he and Joe worked on because of Steve's 30-plus years' experience uh, as a high-level collegiate coach and then Joe Brady's new principles. And I thought the marriage between those two was probably a bigger story than just Joe Brady by himself. So Linehan's coming on to do that, and then Coach Aranda has pegged uh, Bo Pelini, who was a successful defensive coordinator here uh, at LSU uh, several years ago in their championship runs and uh, you know had a pretty good tenure at Nebraska, although at the time Nebraska – their standards were too high, and I think they probably would love to have Bo Pelini back <laughs> the last five years. Uh, but uh, Coach Pelini's back here in town. I saw him at the Kentucky basketball game the other night. He's fired up to be an LSU Tiger. Uh, and Miles Brennan is the heir apparent at quarterback. And, uh, again, I think if the standard is breaking every record uh, in the SEC and LSU as far as offense goes, then maybe the standard's a little too high. Um, but while you're losing a lot of guys to the NFL draft, uh, LSU's got plenty of talent left in the cupboard. And, uh, you know, Coach O so far says he's very confident with what Miles Brennan can do. In fact, many people felt like he had a better arm uh, than Joe Burrow. I think Joe actually got driven in competition a little bit to improve his passing game because of the natural talent that Miles Brennan has. So um, he'll have to adopt that kind of swagger, that type of confidence, uh, and really the work ethic that Joe Burrow has. And uh, so far, the coaching staff feels like uh, he's well on his way. So um, I don't think it's a one and done. Again, trying to set what LSU did last year is unattainable. I don't think there's going to be many teams anytime soon that can kind of put up those numbers. But I think they'll be just all right. And their offense is going to stay the same. They're going to utilize uh, that receiving core. They brought in a couple of really highly recruited kids in this year's class. 
And by the way, they do have the returning Belitnikov winner in Jamar Chase, who we heard a moment ago. Um, so they've got plenty of talent. And, and the two running backs that saw action, Ty Davis-Price and John Emery, uh, along with Chris Curry, who I thought had a phenomenal game uh, against Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl in place of Clyde Edwards, um, you know, they're, they're going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it gets enough attention like you were talking about the marriage with uh with Brady and the existing OC. That that's so difficult for somebody to come in and really for him, you know, being in coaching so long to be able to adapt and make that mesh and then for you know, transfer it to the field with the guys and stuff. They did such a fantastic job with that and the way that Burroughs transformation from from last year to, to this year with the national championship and the year that he had, you can just really see the transformation and the goals of the LSU offense with from top to bottom. The biggest thing, I was a past quarterback and I was telling, I tell all my friends and stuff because, you know, we're obviously football uh, nerds, but I, I tell people all the time, Jer Burrow is fantastic, but those guys ain't dropping any balls either. Yep. So that has a large piece to do with it. And I think that when I was watching, I, you know, y'all got to see it in the scrimmages, but I saw it early on in the year. Those receivers are absolutely phenomenal. They just don't drop anything. No, they all went out on their own and their individuals as a group. Uh, and, and they drove each other and competed with each other uh, in the best positive way. And that's Jamar Chase, obviously, Justin Jefferson, who, by the way, was ranked a two- or three-star coming out of high school, and now he's going to be one of the top receivers drafted <laughs> coming up, coming as he, as he decided to come out early. But those guys on their own uh, worked with the jugs machine. They worked with each other. And their their mission, I think they, they caught 10,000 passes as a group uh, in individual. That was their goal. Wow. And uh, it was just one right after another, one right after another. And we were just amazed that if it was in within arm's reach, uh, very few times uh, did they drop it. In fact, when there were drops, and there were a couple um, in the Clemson game, and it was so uncharacteristic that we all just had our mouths just wide open. Like, how did <laughs> how did they drop it? And uh, that's how rare it was. And those guys did an incredible job. And, you know, that helps with that confidence for Joe Burrow. If he can get the ball there, uh, he felt very assured they would make the grab. And, and more times than not, they did. Well, there's nothing that gives a quarterback more confidence than knowing that your guys, when you throw it, when you sling it, they're going to catch it, right? I mean, that just breeds that confidence you were talking about. So, outstanding stuff there. Chris, I want to give you one more time to listen to the final call here of the national championship game that you had. And then I want to ask you your thoughts as you were uh, speaking those words because uh, the correlation for us, Rob and Ben and I, we had the chance to to call a state championship title this year with the Dublin Fighting Irish. And I know we thought about, you know, what what were those words going to be if we win? You know, what are we going to say? So I want to let you hear this final call and then tell me what your thoughts were on that. LSU will snap it one more time. 32 seconds. Joe Burrow, again, the snap, the knee. And the Tigers of LSU, a team of destiny and a team for ages, celebrate on the field here tonight in New Orleans inside the Superdome, capturing the national title and snapping a 29-game win streak for Dabo Sweeney and Clemson and denying them the opportunity to be back-to-back champions for the first time since Alabama did it 2012 Final horn sounds. It's in the books. Tigers win. Tigers win. They are the national champions with a win tonight over Clemson, 42 to 25. All right. So, uh, what about that, Chris? Tell us what was going through your mind as you were making that call, sir. 
Well, you know, in, in years past, you, you know, you've always had people who think, well, I guess they write all that down or they, they prepared it a week in advance. And, you know, I'm not a superstitious guy by nature. Uh, what I do in the booth has absolutely zero impact on what happens uh, on the field, on the court. Uh, you know, it just doesn't, and I don't believe it. Um, but, I, I, you know, over the years I've just determined that you should have some type of theme, uh, you know, because you don't want to assume you're going to win a game. Uh, and and uh, even though as well as LSU played all season, there was never an assumption they were going to win any of those games. Um, and then secondly, you just, like I said, you want to have a theme. And, and for me, I will, uh, again, I look through the world with purple and gold lenses uh, and make no apologies for that. And I feel like LSU is certainly in the very limited number of teams that go down as the best team in college football history. Uh, the numbers back it up. Going 15-0, and 0, can't do better than that. Uh, the win-loss record, uh, as well as pulling down the title. So for me, it was it was just try to encapsulate what a special and magical year it was uh, for Coach O, for this team, and for all of us that were a part of, of LSU football. It was a tremendous ride. And, you know, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, in fact, I know a lot of broadcasters who've been in this business a lot longer than I am, uh, many of them who are mentors and and, and guys that I look up to have never had the opportunity to even call a title game, much less win one. Um, so it was, it was kind of all of that, that this is a very special year. Uh, having won the game in New Orleans uh, with an overwhelming home crowd feel for LSU, uh, you know, downtown New Orleans, it looked like Mardi Gras. It looked like what New Orleans looks like this week uh, <laughs> following that championship game. And uh, so that was just it. I just wanted to have some type of a theme. Uh, because I found when you try to write it down or you try to remember or memorize something, uh, you get caught up in the emotion just like the players and coaches and fans do. And if you're trying to do something, more times than not, you're going you're gonna to muck it up. And um, so, again, I just go into it with if they're able to win, how do you want to describe that moment? And to me, it was a, a team of destiny. We all felt like had they not won a national championship, uh, the season would just not have been right. Um, you know, even with all the numbers and records they put up, that team deserved to be the national champion. They were the best team in college football. And it was great to have them finish it out. And that, and that's the way you, that's the way we feel like you got to do it. You got to fill out the moment, and uh, we, I feel like you did a great job of doing that right there. That that final call is as good as that sounded because you've been you were with the team the whole entire time and carried them all along and, and kind of portrayed that the exact you know, the right way that it should have been portrayed. And uh, before we let you go, we we talked to uh, the voice of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets last week, um, Andy Demetra, and we asked him this question, and so you're getting it too. Uh, it's uh, where what is probably that your your favorite venue or or, uh, or most memorable venue um, you've ever had the chance to uh, broadcast a game, whether it be basketball, football, uh, no matter. Um, what's probably your most memorable um, venue that you've ever been to as far as broadcasting goes to? And uh, the four-foot uh, four stage doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could ask you, answer a question by asking a question, what did Andy say? But I won't do that. <laughs> he said Dublin, Ireland. That yeah. when, when Georgia Tech, he had his opener oh, yeah. in Dublin, Ireland. They played uh, Boston College, oh, yeah. uh, and, and that, was, that, was his, that was his deal, was Dublin, Ireland. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dandy Andy on his trip to Ireland. Well, I haven't done that. So, uh, he, he's, he's got me beat there. I'll tell you what, guys, um, I really – I don't know that I can pin it down to one place, but, I mean, Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night for a big-time SEC game 
uh, there's no place like it. And uh, again, going back to my purple and gold lenses, I've been a lot of places and, um, and uh, there's some great traditions and great game day atmospheres all over the country. And I love to take them in when we go on the road, whether it's the Grove at Ole Miss uh, or yeah, even what they do at Sanford Stadium. Georgia, okay. <laughs> um, you know, South Carolina at Williams Bryce, uh, obviously uh, having worked at Clemson, uh, running down the hill. I mean, there's all of those that, that are very special and unique, but uh, there's no place like Baton Rouge and Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night. And, uh, you know, when you're up there, and I've done it, what, four years now, and you get ready for the game and you step into our booth, which is right around the 45-yard line, uh, eight and a half stories up, and you look out on the masses that are there, uh, calling Baton Rouge kicks off over the loudspeaker, uh, the hair rises on the back of my neck. It is, uh, it's, it's just incredible. And I think my dad put it best. He came to the Alabama LSU game in 2016. It was a sellout crowd of over 102,000. And he got there with my wife and kids, maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes till kickoff. And he said when he walked out into the, out of the tunnel to his seats, it, it almost took his breath. It was like seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time. And it is, it is intimidating. Uh, I've taken a lot of friends, even from there in middle Georgia, uh, who've come to Baton Rouge on different visits. And we'll go inside Tiger Stadium during the day when it's empty. And it still is an intimidating place without 102,000 people. Um, so if you haven't taken in Saturday night in Death Valley, uh, it should be on your bucket list. Uh, the game day atmosphere all day long, that's the best part about playing Saturday night, is the party starts Friday at about 5 p.m. <laughs> And rolls all the way to kickoff, and it's just a very unique, uh, very unique experience to, to take in. The second to that was this year in Tuscaloosa, Bryant Denny Stadium. Um, you know, president showed up. It was a mess trying to get to the game, uh, but you know, credit to Alabama and LSU fans. They still filled it up as difficult as it was to get in with all the security. Um, but to win that game and see the emotion on Ed Ogeron's face and get on that bus with the team and fly back with the team and what it meant not only to those players in purple and gold, but to an entire state and LSU fans across the globe. A huge burden lifted off their back after basically eight-plus seasons of futility. Um, And winning that game, many people have asked me, would it have been better to win that game in Tiger Stadium? Uh, it would have been phenomenal. But to win it in Tuscaloosa and have that two-and-a-half, three-block walk from the stadium to the car was one of the most enjoyable <laughs> walks I have ever had in my life. So, uh, you know, winning against Alabama, which doesn't happen often, not just for LSU, but for anybody with their home win streak, uh, was awfully fun to do. And uh, finally, the third one. You know, calling a game inside Cameron Indoor Stadium and calling a game in my home state of Kentucky at Rupp Arena last year. Uh, I called the game with Georgia Southern at Cameron several years ago. It's a unique experience, not the best setup in the world for a broadcaster up in the Belfry, but um, it was a unique vantage point. And then going back home to Kentucky last year, my parents were there, both uh, are Kentucky grads, and, and both were wearing purple and gold. And LSU got the win 73-71 on a tip-in at the buzzer. Um, that was a lot of fun, too, because I went to Rupp Arena a lot as I was a young man, uh, obviously pulling for the Cats. 
and a return there and, and Will Wade and his team able to win that one. That was a special moment, not to mention the fact it went down to the wire and a buzzer beater. So um, those are a handful. I don't know if I could narrow it down to just one, but then again, I didn't put to go to Ireland and call a football game. <laughs> those <laughs> were definitely good enough there. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. I tell you what, uh, Death Valley is now on the bucket list mm, if it wasn't already. Yes. <laughs> you sold us. Yeah. <laughs> and anytime you want to take us, Chris, we'll be happy to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, well, I promise you this. You guys let me know if you want to take in a game and we'll roll out the purple carpet. It's too bad you missed the Georgia thrashing last season. <laughs> <laughs> we will do that. I'll tell you what, we'll take you up on that invitation sometime. But uh, uh, Rupp Arena, great place. Been there, wonderful. But I can't wait to go visit LSU. Yeah. So we'll see you guys. Chris Blair, the voice of the national champion LSU Tigers, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, I had a blast, man. Let's do it again soon. We'll go do it, Tigers. Man. Go Tigers. Yeah. There you go. go Tigers. All right. Thank you, man. Chris Blair there, your national championship voice of the LSU Tigers. Stick around the Rob Ben and Joe show. We'll be right back.